You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daney. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travelled to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members, and get an extra big interview every month, plus loads of bonus content. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Graham Hunter, and we'll bring you joy. Built like a middleweight boxer, with a thatch of what looked like Swedish blonde hair on the top of his noggin. Tony Curry, to my mind, in the 70s, was a god amongst men in the football world. Yes, you'll have heard about him, even if you didn't see him as one of the entertainers, the Frank Worthington, Duncan McKenzie, Stan Bowles. If you're listening to the big interview, you've heard me nattering on and on about these people. And if you listen to the Simon Stainrod interview, Simon said that Tony was the best footballer he ever played with. Here's the rub. Tony was a London geezer who moved up to Sheffield to play for United in 1968 And even though he had brilliant spells with Leeds and QPR, who was their main man when they went to the cup final against Spurs? Yes, it was Tony Curry. Tony has been associated with Sheffield United since 1968. He's the cutting edge of the blades. He's there today enjoying their brilliant Premier League performance, but he's been voted their all-time greatest footballer. He's a brilliant storyteller. He played against his absolute idol, Jimmy Greaves. He made football look beautiful and simple, and Don Revie said, I don't want you for England. This is a catalogue of superb stories from one of the best footballers Britain produced in the 70s and 80s. Don't worry if you didn't see him. YouTube will fill you in. Don't miss a word of Tony Curry. This is a fabulous interview. This is the big interview with Tony Curry. This, this is one that I'm not going to call it by any means an indulgence, listeners, but you're back with the big interview. And because I've taught so much over the years about the style of player that I adored, you won't be very surprised. Well, you might be surprised to know where we are. We're in the away dressing room at Bramall Lane. Sheffield United kind of rule England at the moment. They're playing some of their best football ever. They're about to land in Europe, we hope, for the first time in history. And we're with the greatest ever player. So, I, I don't know how I should... People address you differently. To me, it's definitely for the moment, until I see that you're approving or not, it's Mr Curry. I'm, I'm led to believe that there's a lot of TC banded around. 
Oh, that's been banded around a long time. So. Yeah, I'll do a TC. TC is the, is the word, yeah. We're with Mr Tony Curry, one of England's great footballers and somebody who inspired me as a youngster. And we're about to throw him in at the deep end because I'm not sure how comfortable you are with praise. Maybe it's easy peasy for you, but I want to read something that was said to us in a recent podcast we did. I'm not going to tell you who it is. But here's the quote. Tony Curry, the nicest person you could ever meet until you got into the dressing room before a game. At which point, he took over. He told everyone to give him the ball every time they got it. He had an ability to transform players that weren't close to his ability up to another level. I've seen him holding off people with one hand and when they're trying to get the ball, they're really having a go at him and it's, it's nothing to him. Very similar to Zidane. He can hold off three players with one arm while they're working out what trick he's going to do, how he's going to embarrass you. He's the best player I've been on a pitch with, but he could do anything. Now, I want to come back to that quote in a minute, and if you want, I'll tell you who said it. Oh, yeah, I'd like to know, but I, uh, it must have been, yeah, somebody who's played with me, but for it's a club, club side? Played with you, for a club side, went to a cup final with you and um, feels exactly about your playing abilities like I do. Not a shy man. Also known... So he played in the final with me. He did. Simon Stainley. <laughs> Dead easy. Simon. <laughs> you, can hear his, you can hear his voice in those words, can't you? The man should have played for England. He was that good, Simon. He was a fantastic footballer. He was that good. He should have got... He should have... I don't know what it was, um, but... Uh... He sat on the bench in Rio that day of the amazing John Barnes goal and, and Sir Bobby never called and never tapped his shoulder. But I think in Simon's head, he's probably played 100 times for England, so he's, okay. he's one of those... <laughs> oh, he's one of those that can, he can probably handle without it. Without a doubt. He, he, he was certainly a competent lad. But we're not here to talk about him. Did you, it's early in the interview for me to be throwing all this sugar your way. But do you recognise what I've been saying to you since we got in this dressing room, what Simon said about you? For those who didn't have the privilege of watching you um, in your long career, with those words that Simon was describing you, do you, do you say, yeah, that, that's what I tried to do? Oh, uh, yeah. I, the, you know, the book, the book, The Entertainers, I was one of them. And um, I, I wanted to go out and show the fans what I could do. I was confident in my ability 100%. People say, and, it, and it's been said recently, I played when I wanted to play, I, you know. But what people don't realise is the, the other team are having their team meetings and they're putting one or two players on me and trying to stop me playing. It's not easy, it's not easy to, to be playing at 90%, 100% all the time. And we were never, under, we were never 70 80% fit anyway. They used to chuck us out with an injection or whatever because there was no, no squads in them days. I'm waffling on now and getting off the point. No, but, it's not. That, no, the but, point is, because we're going to come back to this point in that yeah. I, I also noticed early on, one of the things that I think we all, you might not have loved it, but it was an identifiable part of 60s and 70s, even 80s football, that football was hard. And you had to, if you wanted to demonstrate someone with a ball, if you wanted to take players on, if you wanted to entertain the crowds, you were going to get it. Oh, so yeah. we'll come back to that. But do you, have you ever thought about what made you an entertainer? Why you wanted to do those things with the ball rather than just head down, run forward, kick it at goal? No, I mean, I've always been 
a skillful player. I mean, in the playground at school, you had to beat 20 players before you could, because it was like 90 a side, wasn't it? <laughs> Tennis ball at your feet, and you've got to beat three or four, five, six players before you can lay it off to a, to, if you could find somebody, because it was just ridiculous. No colours or anything, was there? I think that's where I learnt my skills and that, and uh, as you do as a kid. And uh, I played in certain positions. I mean, Chelsea gave me a trial at centre-half, and I'm playing, and I had four trials at the Welsh Harp in Hendon, which is where we come from, and that was Chelsea's great training ground then. You know, I, I used to go and watch Aussie play in the juniors and, and that, and Jimmy, I, used, I met Jimmy Greaves at training, and who was my idol. They put me at centre-back, as, as you're doing trials because there's so many people there, they put me up against these big Scottish 10-foot strikers. <laughs> I mean, I'm only about 5'9 at the time. And we weren't delicate in those days. No, we? no, no, no. But uh, anyway, I never got... You know, that, that was a disappointment because they were my club. Don't you feel that it's odd that they didn't look again, given that you had ability and stature and confidence? You can miss a player if, they, if you play them in the wrong mm. position once, but... If it feels to me odd that you slipped through. Well, yeah, yeah, that you can come on to that. But um, I'd already done a year as a schoolboy from fourteen to fifteen at QPR, and they didn't think I was going to be good enough. So, you know, when it came to leaving school, no apprenticeship, they took on a schoolmate of mine, Bob Turpey, and he was a great player. They, they, so, so I had to start a job for six months, and during that time, I, I, that's when I had my trials for Chelsea, and I was. You know, so I had a couple of knockbacks, but I thought, well, I'm confident, and I just got on with it. And then a Watford scout came and saw me, and I ended up there. And Ken Furphy took six months to to decide whether I could be an apprentice or not. So around about my 16th birthday, he, he took a chance on me, and I signed as an apprentice for a year. And by the time, so and then all of a sudden, everything yeah. took off. And by the time I was 17, I got a, I got a pro a pro contract. And 17 and three quarters, I'm in the first team, scored nine goals in my first six games. That might be a world record for somebody from debut to whatever. Nine goals in six games. I was a striker then. It was ridiculous. So Sheffield United signed me as a striker. We're getting back to the skillful bit, which was your question. And so I've, I've spent two seasons as a striker here and the goals dried up. And I, I found myself coming back and making goals. And I went to John Harris, who was the manager then, and I said, look, I think I'd like to play in midfield, all right? And he said, yeah, have a go. <laughs> and that was it. It took off then. Within a year, I'm playing for England in midfield at Wembley against Northern Ireland. Unbelievable. I'm, you know, that was, I, it, it was my comfort zone. I could do, and, and the more I did, the, the long balls, the dribbling and stuff like that, and the holding off with the arms. You, you smile <laughs> when you, you recognise that, don't you? Oh, yeah, it's a, yeah. It's one of them or one of them. You just push them. Well, you see them doing it now, all the midfield. You know, they, they have to do it. And, you know, you, you get away with it. You get away with it. I certainly did. But, but that, was, that, was, that was how it all happened, to, to, to be that. And then, you know, I wanted to go out and give the crowd something. We, ne- we, we never got past the fourth round here in my eight and a half seasons here in the Cup. I think we got to the fifth round of the League Cup once at West Ham and got beat five. Um, so we never had a cup run, so we and we were always halfway or whatever in the league. So I was trying to give the crowd a bit of something. If, if they couldn't see well. silverware, they could know that every time they came to see you, yeah. there'd be a thrill. There'd be something to get them yeah. off their seats. But I weren't the only one in the team. I mean, we had match winners. We had Alan Woodward, who was the greatest yeah. player I ever played with, 
because we had that telepathy. Len Badger, Billy Dearden scored the goals and we had speed merchants, Stuart Scullion, Gil Reese, Billy Dearden, Woody, uh, Jeff Sammons. Did you have Eddie Cochran at some stage? Eddie Colleen was the fastest of all of us. He was centre-half. Preston Pines, man. He used to kick his grandmother. He <laughs> used to kick us in training. I used to kick him back a couple of times. He didn't like it. But that, that was Eddie. I mean, what? he was a great player. Eddie, great player. Played nine times, I think, for Scotland. And you needed a Scot on your team in those days. There were Scots everywhere. Yes. We ended up signing Jimmy Johnson in me last year. What a player. I want to take you back now, because... You, we, we were, you stay surprised. I've always been surprised that Chelsea missed you. And the key is because footballers are, are often missed. Trials are strange, clubs are strange, people are sometimes scared of taking decisions. Mm. And also in your day, maybe there was an awful lot of young, talented footballers and not a lot of money around. That could be part of it. But the key thing is as soon as that happens, your career shoots up and you're so impressive at Watford that at 18 and a London boy, in 1968, you're heading north to Yorkshire, to Sheffield United. I want you to take us back to that. Was it a worry? Was it heart-wrenching leaving the family? Were you a man at 18? What was the whole north-south thing? Because if I remember correctly, it was a little bit fierce. Yeah. And you'd have, been, you'd have been viewed as a big cocky flash Londoner coming north to Yorkshire by the Yorkshireman, I, I imagine. Take us to the train journey in well, 1968. First up of all, the cocky word. I've never been cocky in my life. Only on the field. Yeah. That was my stage. You know, if it went, and, and I did it at the right time. Was it difficult to, to choose to come north? No, because I looked at the paper. I looked at the league tables. Watford languishing in the bottom half of the old third division and Sheffield United probably 7-8 from the bottom in the, the first division which is now the Premier League so it wasn't difficult no and I just wanted to rise to the top as soon as I could I, I don't like change I, I, I didn't really want to be leaving London and my familiarities down there but um, I was already getting married at 18 and the wedding was going to be in March which it was, March the 2nd. Yeah, I was going to be moving up here with, with my wife, and that was it. But I, I remember coming up, and it was dark, dingy, raining. I'd got off the train, and, and, and John Short picked me up, the first team coach, and uh, took me to my digs. And I was in there for a month with Mrs Lowe's at Netheridge. That was, uh, that was fun. And I shared a room with another Scott, Paddy Buckley, who became a, great, a lifelong friend. He's gone back up north now he lives up there but we had a great time for a month he, he, he loved the old betting he used to go to Owlet and the dogs and then we'd go to the on a Friday night this is before reserve games because I was only in the reserves for the first three weeks when I came and he was prolific goal scorer we got him from Wolves and he'd, he'd score and I'd score and we just kept scoring goals 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 did Sheffield so look like a, a steel town then well, you know, was it very... Oh, it was, it was, yeah, it was, still was. The Yorkshire people have a really strong character. Did you take to them immediately? Did they take to you immediately? Yes, I think so. Straight away after my debut and scoring and stuff against Tottenham. And Jimmy Greaves, my idol, was playing that night. He, he scored, scored as well, didn't yes, he? Yes, he did, yeah. They, they, they took to me straight away. I mean, people still... Come, I, I was at your first game, you know. I, was at, I mean, obviously they're quite old. I was at your first game. There must have been... 100,000 at that game, the times people have told me. I'd say, every time they, somebody says, oh, that's, that's 34,000 now. <laughs> that was your debut, where um, 
you were about to get married within a couple of days. And like you say, you played against the Spurs side. It was Pat Jennings, Phil Beale, Joe Kinnear, Mike England, yeah. centre-half, Cyril Knowles. Nice one, Cyril. The great Dave Mackay. Yeah, the great Dave Another Mackay. great Scott. Alan Mulry, Terry Venables, Martin Shivers, Cliff Jones, Jimmy yeah, Greaves, Cliff managed Jones, by Bill Can Nick. you believe that? Uh, for a long time, their all-time leading scorer. What do you remember about the game? Anything? I can remember... I think it was Gil Reese scored at the cop end. I can remember his goal, and obviously I can remember my my goal cross from Dave Monks at the Bramall Lane end, and a header, header for Watford, my debut header, header for Sheffield United header. How did you get even if you hit it well? How did you get it past Pat Jennings' hands at the side of Canvey Island, don't they? Oh, gigantic, dead easy, Pat. I scored against him for for Leeds at. Uh, uh, at Arsenal first game of the season in 78 and that was a crack that was my best goal ever I think if you can get that up we're going to come to that one don't, don't you worry oh, about it dear me did you know already before that but goal Pat- you had Brazilian blood didn't you <laughs> yeah yeah you, you've seen it then <laughs> yeah outside of the right foot Pat was probably one of the top three keepers in the, in the whole of football ever just phenomenal I don't know just a point blank I just got it in the right spot the header and the club were okay that you said listen yeah I'll make my debut against well they weren't and I'm off to to get married well he did know about it and perhaps John Harris knew about it and perhaps uh, he didn't think I'd be in the first team by then but I was scoring goals scoring goals scoring goals for the reserve and um, he obviously thought right I'll put him in for this game and uh, so I'm scoring again and and, uh, then it comes to Leicester away you can have your wedding, but we get a fast car, bring you up. Only take an hour, and you can just play. I, I kept saying, look, yeah, I can't. It's, it's, it's a wedding. It's the, it's the bride's big day. Can't do it. I can't do it. And I, I was in there for an hour, and I hate being grilled. I hate being in trouble, which I was in trouble. I wanted to play, of course I did, but, you know. You can't I, play your wedding day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In the end, I, I didn't play. We lost three 0 and it was ridiculous. I mean, I think we had, I think we lost the last six home games. We only, we only needed a point. We were two 0 up with against Fulham with twenty minutes to go here, and lost three two. Managed to lose three two, and then Chelsea stuffed us two 0 on the last day of the season. But there was there was something going on, and I don't know if you remember what it was, but we were looking at there was a period where you played three games. In four days, yeah, it's just like match, not, match, match. Not on, you know, in that day. That was Easter. You you played on a Friday, Saturday, and a Monday, or a Saturday, Monday, and a Tuesday, or a Friday, Monday, and Tuesday. Am I am I at the TC stage yet? Yeah, or should I still yeah, stick yeah no, TC's fine. TC, it's just quicker. My wife I, says it's it, it TC stands for three chins, but I have lost a couple <laughs> of stones since then. <laughs> 
I have no comment on that subject. <laughs> I usually don't see these cheap bones, but not anymore. Top cat, I think, is is, is part of it because you were the top cat. But are you aware of what you're saying? Oh yeah, it was Friday, Saturday, Monday. Yeah. It's all very well saying it, but at the moment, it's all the doctors that we because we're children of the modern journalism, so we listen to the coaches and the doctors, and the players will tell you, "Well, no, no wonder we lost. We only had, you know." two and a half days to recover yeah. and they mean yeah. it too oh I know they do and you're like yeah, of course we played three games in yeah. four days yeah, yeah. well it, it, that was the done thing up until what I don't know the, the Premier League or whatever I don't know that's what you did my first ever Easter we played Liverpool away and they were going for the title Liverpool away Tony Aitlian who was a great mate of mine March dad yeah Ian St John, him up front, yeah. Callaghan on one wing, Tom, Thompson on the other. And Ian, no, he didn't. I, he might have played, but the two strikers in that. Let's say had three strikers, but Tommy Lawrence in goal, Ron Yates, Lawler. You know, you know the fifty-eight, the fifty-eight goal that Pelly scored in the cup final, where he lofted it over and then before it dropped, volleyed it. I did the same to Ron Yates, and I volleyed it, and it went at, at the other end of the cop. And it went through Tommy Lawrence's legs, fortunately. But I did that. I did the Pelly thing. Over, over Bill Shankly's Man Mountain. Yeah. Over Big Aberdonian. Yeah, yeah. Ron Yates, who yeah. shares a city with me. So that for anybody who doesn't remember, that, you're talking about Pelly for Brazil against Sweden in the World Cup final yeah, in 58, yeah. where he flicks it up over, lets it drop down and volleys it home. Yeah, and before, that was your it, before it hit the ground. I think he went at Anfield that day. We won 2-1. Yeah. So these are the three games over Easter, right? So that was whenever it was but three and four days we played Everton here in the middle yes and, and, and Bawley gets the penalty they, we lose 1-0 that's right on the Monday or the Tuesday we play Liverpool again here we drew one all and I scored that in that goal in that game as well so uh, so Liverpool Everton Liverpool in the space of about four days yeah and just to let you know you Liverpool people out there <laughs> And I do apologise for this, but those three points I helped us take off you didn't help us getting relegated, but it helped, us, it helped it, and it didn't help Liverpool because they lost the title that year because of those three points. I need to sort of hone in on a couple of details here, if that's all right, because I'm going to have to come back to Greavesy. I've got three specific questions about three matches in that spell. We'll go back to Greavesy, why he's your hero. We are advised that Simon Stainrod, as a 15, 16-year-old, was in the crowd on Saturday, 13th April, 1968, when you're playing against what was then known as the Holy Trinity, which was Harvey, Kendall yeah. and Ball. Yeah. And they were called the Holy Trinity because they could play great yeah. football. Oh, not, many. Ball. not many. <clears throat> and allegedly you sit on the ball. No. Didn't sit on the ball in that game. Was there a ball-sitting moment? Oh, yeah. Me and Alan Ball... <laughs> What happened? You want to know now? Or we, well, all right, I'm interested. Yeah. All right, we go now. Getting the England side, me, Bawley and Bobby Moore took me under their wing because they were the experienced people. And it was That's fantastic. Not bad. Oh, it was fantastic. Bobby Moore, the best man in the world for me. And Bawley weren't far behind, unless you were playing against him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was great. But we Sheffield United, Arsenal down here, around about 73, and they're 5-0 up. They're 5-0 up here. A few minutes to go, he just he's right in front of me and he sits down and folds his arm on the ball. So I'll give it one of them <laughs> with a smile. 
you know. Nowadays, they'd be... Oh, yeah. You know, ungentlemanly conduct, red card, off yeah. you go. Anyway, that was that. So two years <laughs> later, where I've scored two in the first 20 minutes and we're 5-0 up against them when they're top wow. notch. So I did the same to Borley. And, uh, How did he take it? He gave it that. He oh, just okay. did that. He's great. He laughed. He, I mean, they're 5-0 down. What can he do? We were great mates. In the bar afterwards, he's, he says to me, I'll have another one for you at Ivory next year. So we play there ne- the next season. He's put his foot on the ball, undone his lace, <laughs> and done it up again. And I never got the bastard back. Never got him back for that. Don't know, don't know what the score was at the time, but he did it anyway. So. Do you have the privilege then of telling us about some of these players? Because I want to draw you back to in that debut season, you play against a team that's about to be European champions. You play against Manchester United at Old Trafford not long before they play at Wembley to beat Benfica. And you could recite the side by memory, I'm going to. But I want to start with Greavesy because he was playing in your... You, you met him at Chelsea when you were trialling. He was playing in your debut for uh, Sheffield United. But he was your hero. Hmm. Thankfully, recently, there's been a, a film made about him. So that those who didn't understand anything, just the, you know, the folklore or the, or the goal-scoring figures, could understand about the guy, the weight, the quickness, the, the way in which his, it's not his feet didn't touch the ground. He seemed to be on casters. He, just, yeah, yeah. he floated. Yeah. But now I'm being impertinent. You describe what you saw, not only what you played against, but why he was your hero. And t- t- Tell people about Jimmy Greaves. Well, Jimmy's 10 years older than me, right? So I first went to Stamford Bridge in 1958. My uncle took me. My father left home when I was four, so I, I lived with uncles and my mum and aunties and all, 13 of us in an house. Anyway, so he was a Chelsea fan, my Uncle Bert, so he took me to Chelsea. Big dog track with a big oh, old yeah, shed. And yeah, like Unrecognisable from now. Oh, blimey, yeah. All, all, all up until about 1970 it was like that. And then they built the big, big stand, didn't they? But 58... One and three for me to get in. That's about six Peter you lot out there. <laughs> <laughs> and half a crown for my uncle. We used to go to every home game. We used to go to Chelsea, Arsenal, South East Counties League. That was the juniors. We used to go to them. There was 20,000, 30,000 there. Arsenal, Chelsea, 18-year-olds wow. playing South East Counties League. So, you know, just to see Greavesy for those two seasons before he went abroad was just phenomenal. I, just, I mean, the way he could beat players and the way the, the ball just... Like all goal scorers, the ball just seems a magnet. When, you know, they, they get in there, they got the intuition and the vision to to know where the ball's going to drop down and stuff like that. And he he was just a great player. I mean, all right, he might not have he might not have got back and defended much, but what he did. I mean, what's Messi do? He he was the Messi of 1960. It's a comparison I sometimes like to make because I was I'm old enough to have seen bits of Jimmy on the TV yeah. live, and at that stage. Because he was still so famous, you would often go back and see what clips were available. And I've lived in Barcelona for 18 years, mm. so I've watched every You're lucky minute. Man. I, I am. Watching Messi lean into something and take the ball with him and go at high speed at an angle that the defender can't compete. Floating on I mean, air. Isn't it? Riding tackles, floating on air. Is just. Do you think the two of them have similarities? Oh, very much so. Very much so. Jimmy probably scored more headers than what, <laughs> than what Messi did. But, but you know, similar stature, same, weren't they? Same sort of size, all left feet, mainly left feet. And, and, and the, the dribbling. They would, they would, 
it, it wasn't always about power. It's like sliding it oh. to the part of the goal yeah. the keeper doesn't want you to put yeah. it to. Yeah, they, these these people we're talking about and Ronaldo, you can't get any better. And then you've got your you've got your Sterling, Sterling, right? All right, he scored quite a lot of goals. He should be scoring treble that amount because he gets in them areas, and I've seen him miss so many goals because he hasn't got the technique of Messi and Greaves. And let me cheat because off mic, another guy came up, and I loved your enthusiasm. Now I didn't see him play live. But you pointed out to me that the Stefano's never mentioned these big discussions, but he made a giant impact on you, didn't he? He did, yeah, yeah. The Real Madrid team did in in those days. Um, what do you remember of him individually and what he did that you liked that inspired you? Well, again, he was another one of them. He, I mean, he was two-footed. He the way he, he rode tackles in them days, um, his skill, his vision. It, it, it's just it's just impressive, and I love a player like that, especially the vision, because I think that was my the vision. You got to see a pass first, and then and then deliver it. It's a subject that we've got to come to, and I've got a little picture here now. Obviously, this is an audio thing, so it's only you that's going to see the picture. But we'll show our listeners. This is part of the thing you talked about about getting shoved straight out, injection in whatever part of the body was not working was in pain, and you used a phrase about. Playing all the time about seventy percent fit. Yeah, were, were were assaults like that part of the reason that there was pain all over? It, it does look worse. <laughs> I've never seen that. I want that picture. I want that picture. I've Describe never what seen you see. Describe what you, you know that, 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 that's Chris yeah, that. Yeah, I saw him the other week, Chris, and we had a nice chat man. about things. Yeah, yeah. So um, describe what you're seeing. Well, that, that's that's the great Graham Roberts. Isn't it? Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Chris, and they're both doing a, a, a they're both two footed tackles, both feet four feet off the ground. Four. They're kind of tap dancing, aren't they? They're, they're, they're actually off the ground, both of them stamping on me. That's that's what it looks like. That's what, and, and I don't look too happy about it, do I? See, <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen that, but yeah, no. But getting back to the seventy percent in my day, most of the players were only seventy percent, eighty percent. Nobody was ever under. I dare, I dare anybody to say, yeah, I was 100% fit. Explain no to the listeners what that weren't means. squads. What, what was... There weren't squads. We, we, yeah. we, we had 12 players, really, and then, we, then, then anybody else, you know, we were struggling to have a, a, as, a, as, a, as a good substitute sort of thing to, to play. Whereas the two teams that won the, won the trophies all, nearly all the time, Leeds, Liverpool... They had the 20-man squad, all blooming internationals. And obviously, you know, when, when there's a couple out, they can put them in. And they, they were the two greatest teams for them 10 years. The thing that I've always found weird, you talk about Leeds, Don Revy, their manager, was also the physio. There's lots of footage of Den, the Don Revy oh, he did ma- needing the players back to... Did or, massages, yeah. yeah. I've seen him do... I mean, yeah. I still think that's just... I think it's mental. Yeah. Your manager is like, no, I'll squeeze that that problem yeah. out of your hamstring or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, but uh, what did what seventy percent fit really mean then? If you just was it just like tiredness or pain or something's not working somewhere? Well, you, you've seen the tackles that went in, and you know you used to just have to get up because you knew you weren't going to get a foul, uh, a free kick for yeah. it nine nine times out of ten. So you just got on with it and got up as quick as you can and get on with the game. 
you know, and, and perhaps I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I, I, I always felt like, you know, that most of the players were out there with injuries, knocks, whatever. That you covered up with an injection just well, to not, take not, the pain away. Yeah, perhaps not always, well, not, obviously not always injections, but I must have had four or five cortisones over the years and they destroy the area what you're treating. Makes you fine for, a, for the game, but don't do your blooming joints any good or muscles. But uh, they just threw us out there. We, and and it, it, to be fair to the, to the physios and the managers and that, we wanted to be out there anyway. So it was like a 50-50 thing. So, so you've taken a look at that cup final picture of Chris and, and, and Graham doing a wee tap dance on, <laughs> on an area that I don't actually want to, to name <laughs> now that I've had another look at it. It's just as well you were already a dad by then. Um, <laughs> tell the truth. Who, who, who did you have battles with? Who were the, oh, who were the worst at that? And I, I say maybe worst in inverted commas because... Real men probably enjoyed the battles, but they were cloggers. People talk with fear in their voice still about Ron Harris, for example. Tommy Smith allegedly was as hard as nails. For you in that period, whether it's with United or Leeds or Cupia, who were the who were the ones who were like, okay, today this is going to be. There was plenty because they 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 did used to stick a man on me, Ronnie. I thought it was fifty fifty. I didn't I didn't do too bad against Ronnie. But you had to make, you had to be aware. I mean, you had to not just always concentrate on where you were passing the ball and that. You had to make sure where, when, coming when and where he was going to arrive. <laughs> and and the same with Tommy. You know, Graham Sooness, hard as nails, but could play as well. Johnny Giles, not the cleanest of tacklers, but uh, if I can put it in a nice way, Billy, Billy Bremner. But but Peter Story, was, Arsenal was my. Was probably my biggest. He uh, he used to follow me around. No no other job but to follow me around, and uh, he he would bite, scratch, spit, pull shirts, the lot, just to try and stop me. But obviously, he didn't do a good job on me that day when we won five nil here. But I always say that Pete Story was my hardest opponent. What was your temperament like for that? To to what stage could you take it? Did you ever leave one on them? I had to. Um, defend myself I, I, I could handle myself I was blooming 13 stone and, and uh, 5, 10 and a half 5, 11 so I, I, I could handle myself you know I, I got my own back on a few people and, and, and I got sent off in 74 I think it was at Peterborough after 20 minutes I mean they were kicking me to death I think it was the Watney Cup or something and t- Clive Thomas oh Clive there was Clive the Thomas the World Cup famously uh, stopped the that's right. World Cup when that's the ball right. was going in the net that's right and uh, right in front of him right in front of the dugouts and I didn't have to walk far to walk off I caught this bloke above the hip as he was running past me or trying to <laughs> and I just put my foot up and that and I just walked off didn't even have to look round, but I, they were kicking me a bits in the first 20 minutes. We won the game 4-1 and went on to play in the final, I think. But did you did you learn to have sort of like a sense about? No, it doesn't matter if it was Tommy or Ron or Suey or whatever it might be. Did you have to have? You, clearly, you had vision, and you admire vision in others. And the vision is often about space and knowing if your teammate will show, won't show, will run, won't run, etc. But you talked about also having to have sort of eyes all around you. We did early in the series. We did Charlie Nicholas, and Charlie reckoned that he was the, he reckoned he was the first to invent shin guards in the front, shin guards in the back. So you tape two pairs on each yeah. leg, 
just to try and protect. And that's 82, 83, and we're talking about from the 60s through 70s mm. where standards were much, referees let much more go. Mm. Did you develop a, a sort of extra pair of eyes? Could you hear it coming? I did have sort of peripheral vision. I, I, I did know, first of all, what I was going to do with the ball. I was aware. I, you know, the great players can find space. Mm. They, well, they don't even have to find. They, they, it, it's there. Creative. You've got probably. your 10 yards. Yeah, you, you, you just know. And, but yeah, you, you, you can hear him coming and, and you just got to make sure that you, you get out of the way and ride it. Um, it didn't always happen, but like I said, you just had to get up and get on with it. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us, at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.